Producer Michael Miracle here, and before we get into today's podcast, I'd like to quickly invite you to join the I Work For Him Nation. Being a part of the nation is all about being Jesus in your workplace, because you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. So, head to our website, iworkforhim.com, and click on the nation flag, then prayerfully consider joining the nation. We'd love for you to join us in this workplace movement. Thanks again for listening. Here's today's podcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him this afternoon as we will tackle a topic. You know what? This is a topic that not everybody's comfortable on tackling. You know, you've heard the term servant leader, but what does it really mean to be a servant leader? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Some of you may think, well, I'm a servant leader, but are you a servant leader? Who is the most influential? A servant leader or flamboyant dictator? Ken, how can a servant leader impact the world? Well, we all know the easy answer to that one. That was Jesus' job. He was the utmost servant leader. But here to talk this through and to talk more about his incredible book, Unconventional Business, we've got Rick Box with the Integrity Resource Center. Rick Box, welcome back to I Work For Him. Well, hi, Jim. It's great to be with you again. It's a beautiful snowy day there in Kansas as the sun is shining. Oh, no. Did you get snow this weekend? No, no snow, just a lot of rain. A lot of rain. Well, I'm hoping your canoe is not being used anymore and you're doing okay out there. <laughs> All right, so let's let's just, just jump right into this conversation. I, I want to ask you this question. Just, just step in your back for a minute because I love your book, Unconventional Business. When you look at Unconventional Business and I say the words, I work for him, and, and I say, okay, how do those two reson- resonate with you? Because when I look at I work for him, I think Unconventional. But when you wrote Unconventional Business, it was really about I work for him. So how does the theme I work for him and Unconventional Business, how do those resonate together in your mind? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we're all about helping leaders really learn and model biblical principles in their workplace and realizing that the workplace is the best mission field out there. It's uh, You've got close to 150 million people in the workforce, and it's a dark place at times. And it's just a a great place for us to say, hey, look, I do work for the Lord and be able to shine our light into the dark places of the workplace. You know, when you you released your book, Unconventional Business, this last fall, and it's a great book. It is really a handbook for any Christian business owner that really wants to understand, hey, here's how I connect my faith to my work as I run my business, I mean, as I really run this and some very specific things, but in your mind, when you wrote the book, who did you write the book to? Who were you hoping the audience would get when they opened your book, Unconventional Business? Well, Jim, I've just always had a passion for the small business owners, the Christian leaders that are in these businesses that are just trying to do things well and to do it uh, in a way that would be pleasing and honoring to God. And so this this book really was written for those uh, business leaders that have to wear a lot of hats. I mean, they have to worry about human resource issues. They have to worry about finances. They have to worry about planning. And so they, they need to know what does the Bible have to say about each of those subjects, and how do I apply it practically. And, and, and I love that. And, and it is... It's not like you could go out and and buy a lot of books 
that would that would really talk about this unconventional thinking. Because a lot of us have grown up in it. You know, when I was being mentored by older guys in church, when I was in my 20s, at guys in the late 30s, early 40s mentoring me, and they taught me, hey, business is business, church is church. They're just different. But really, un- your book, Unconventional Business, what does it say to those those guys? If, if, if you were to have those guys in front of you, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, we're supposed to live a holistic life. I mean, God didn't call us to be Christians just on Sunday. He wants us to live out our life in a way that lines up with what His Word says seven days a week so that people know that we're living an integrated, complete life, and it's not compartmentalized just so that I can do what I want to do in the <laughs> workplace, but uh, but maybe on Sunday I might act right. Well, and I think that's really it. I mean, people want to do what they want to do. Because they don't want to feel guilty, so I'm like, well, business is business, that's just what it is. But it's it's not really that way. I mean, when we look at it, you look at unconventional business, it really shouldn't be unconventional. It should flow naturally out of us, yet in today's world, this book that you wrote, Unconventional Business, it's very unconventional because the world has gotten so skewed towards truth. Yes, yes. That's oh, so Absolutely. frustrating. It's frustrating. But the, the good news is there is good news. And our master and our savior was the ultimate businessman. Yes. How many sermons have you ever heard, Rick Box, about Jesus being the ultimate businessman? <laughs> well, I'm fortunate I'm in a church that I hear more than most people, but a lot of people don't hear much in that regard. No, okay, but, but what about this sermon? The Jesus's reputation in the marketplace. Have you ever heard a sermon about Jesus's reputation in the marketplace? Not that I recall. Okay, so why, where am I going with that? Do you see where I'm going with that? I mean, what was Jesus's reputation in the marketplace? I mean, what does the Bible tell us that Jesus about Jesus's reputation in the marketplace? Well, we don't have a lot of information about those years that he was a carpenter uh, in the Bible. But we know that he was a person of excellence, and I remember reading a, uh, I think it was Oz Guinness wrote in the uh, in the call that he wrote. Uh, there was a section I remember reading that they that he claims that uh, the third century church actually discovered a yoke that was made by Jesus that was still being used in the third century. Well, that'd be really cool. I, I, I guess where I was going to go with it is that there's nothing written about Jesus' reputation as a businessman. But that is right. significant. Because if Jesus was a lousy business guy, if he was a lousy carpenter, the Pharisees, they would have ripped him to shreds because uh, they'd, they'd have had something to say about Because they were always ripping him to shreds about all kinds of things they could make up. Yes, excellent point. Yeah, so, they, they, they certainly would have jumped all over yeah, that. If they had something, they'd have used it. I mean, it's no different right. than the media today. If they had, Well, even, no, but the media today, they make up stuff. They, but, okay, but if, they, if the Pharisees had something, they would have used it. But they, yeah. nobody used anything. Nobody. Jesus' reputation in the marketplace made a perfect launching platform for his ministry because he was already known as a person of excellence. Yeah, great point. All right, so great let's point. take that point and change the country. That's what I want to do. I want to flip the world upside down on its head because if so many churches don't even, they don't think of Jesus as a business guy. But he was a right. business guy more years 
by 10 times more years. I mean, he was training in the workshop with his father probably at two or three years of age. The minute he could pick up sawdust, he was probably working with his dad. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll get back. I'll, I'll <laughs> I know that you don't get worked up like this, at least on the air, but I, I, although sometimes your integrity moments get pretty intense. The fake news yeah. one yesterday? Yeah. You're, you're fired up about fake news. I, I, <laughs> I like to see you get fired up. You bet. Yeah, there's there's a lot to get fired up about. <laughs> yes, there is. Yes, there is. All right, so today we're going to talk about our people, our employees. However, I want to encourage people who are listening to understand that the concepts we're covering today are for anyone who leads. So that means that everyone who has influence over at least one person, they're a leader. Why did you put a chapter about developing servant leaders inside your book, Unconventional Business? You know, I think it's because that uh, servant leadership is unconventional because of our human nature. I mean, we all really, if we boil it all down, we really want to serve ourselves, and we want other people serving us. We really don't care to humble ourselves and to serve others and their interests before our own. And that, and therefore, it really is just kind of a uh, an unconventional approach to doing business. Now, there has been a little more discussed. There's been some writers in the business community, and so there are people that have heard about servant leadership in the marketplace, and it has been uh, in, more embraced at times. But it's still unconventional because it's just not in our nature. Well, wait a minute. So you're saying that when I became a Christ follower, I didn't just automatically get the servant leadership gene? <laughs> no. Nope. You're still battling flesh. One it your own way. It would be nice. I think that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. The things that I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. Yes. I mean, servant leadership. All right. So, you know, Scripture says this. Jesus said in Mark nine thirty five, he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Rick, why do you think we need to develop servant leaders? Well, because it's the model that Jesus gave us, and it's the uh, the humble way to lead. And Jesus taught his disciples that you know those who were least were actually going to become greatest in the kingdom of God. And so God's called us to this, and so we need to do it. But it's also a very wise business model. All right, so let's just let's just step back for a minute. I, I, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just threw something out there. Okay, I, I missed it. I was going to move on, and, and all of a sudden I heard what you just said. It's also a very wise business model? Yes. Name five guys from Wall Street that would say that and agree with you. <laughs> okay, just name one guy. Name one guy from Wall Street that would agree with what you just said. Oh, I'm sure they're there. Uh, we just don't hear that side of it. But uh, <laughs> so God can... has people planted there, I'm sure. Okay, but you so you can't name a contemporary of ours that's currently running a business that says that? Well, I've, I've been blessed to meet a lot of uh, servant leaders that have a heart for just uh, serving those around them. I mean, actually, that was how I was impacted in a big way. I had a bank president that I worked for that he had that kind of a heart, and it was just an amazing day for me whenever he told the whole staff, tomorrow I want you to bring your cars around back because I'm going to spend the day washing all the cars of the employees. And at that time, I told him he was crazy. 
that, that that wasn't a smart idea. That everybody should be washing his car instead of the other way around. But it was that day that was a turning point in him being able to turn that bank around because he built trust, and everybody there said, this guy really does care about us, so therefore I need to work harder for him. Mm. So when you say it's the wisest business move, what do you mean? I just think that it is. I I think that uh, Jesus is brilliant in the way that he used servant leadership to uh, serve his disciples and to get uh, those disciples beholden to uh, his cause. And likewise, if we serve people well in our uh, businesses, then I think other people that see that and are the recipients of that, they're going to turn around and serve us well because they're going to be humbled that we cared enough about them. All right, I might come back and re-ask that question again, because I'm not sure. I I know the people out there listening are going, right, right. First of all, we, in the news, you, you I don't know that we ever hear examples of servant leaders making the news. We, uh, what, what are the word I use in my opening? We um, uh, flamboyant dictators often get on the news. But servant leaders, uh, let's. What are some of the high qualities, the great qualities of a servant leader? You know, I think uh, humility and obedience; those are the the two most important aspects for you to be a good servant leader. You've got to be a humble individual. Philippians two is a, an entire chapter that teaches us to look out for the interest of others more than looking out for our own interest, and I think that's what God calls us to. All right, but what, when you say the two most important characteristics of a servant leader, humility and obedience, um, a lot of people today really struggle with—well, they struggle with both of those, okay? Humility. Sure. They, they don't—we don't really understand humility because they're like, I'm humble. And well, the minute you say you're humble, <laughs> it automatically <laughs> yeah. means you're probably not too humble. Uh, and then obedience. We've been taught that disobedience is kind of like a rite of passage, I mean, it's honestly, it started with those kids that grew up in the '60s who are now, you know, retiring. Uh, and, you know, they're in their '70s and their '80s today, and and they, you know, they kind of set the standard. Hey, disobedience—that's the right thing to do. So obedience, it kind of goes countercultural again. Well, kind of unconventional. So yes. Does, so does humility. Yes. Yes. Uh, too many of us uh, in the marketplace, we want to have the spotlight on us. We want everybody serving us, and we want to be the best thing going. But a, uh, a humble approach, is a, it's a hard thing for us to do, but it's what God calls us to, and it's the way that we can serve well those people around us. Ah, but when the spotlight's on us for a moment, it's fun. <laughs> but what? Ha- what? Ha- well, come on. I mean, you you do a lot of speaking. Sometimes, and I know you probably don't like being up on stage as much as I do. But when you get the spotlight on you, I mean, it, 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 sometimes it feels good to to be somebody, to be recognized, to be appreciated. To I mean, sure. I, I mean, I don't. I'm just being honest. I don't know. But... Yeah, and and I think that's very true. Is it's it's in our DNA. We just really love being the center of attention. But it's, uh, that's just not what God's calling us to. We're, we were placed here to put him in the center of attention and to glorify him with what we do. 
And that's what servants do, is servants serve their master. All right, I love what you just said. We love to be the center of attention. And all of my friends listening to the show today are going, yeah, Jim kind of likes to be the center of attention. I, I just, I enjoy it. It's fun. I like to make people laugh. I mean, it's just, and, I, and I'm not a, I don't, not a joke telling guy. I just like making fun of life all around us because there's all kinds of ridiculous stuff going on all around us all the time. Uh, okay, but so let, let's just move off of my opinions off of this and, and get back to Scripture because that's really what you, when you wrote your book, Unconventional Business, it's solely based off of Scripture, and you're really taking what the Scripture has to say and applying it to our business lives. And, and again, as I said at the beginning of the show, maybe you're not a business person. That's fine. You could be any, any workplace that you operate within. No matter what your workplace is, your workplace matters. And being unconventional, the only reason, I mean, really, the, what you're saying, what's unconventional is really applying biblical principles to whatever we do. That's unconventional, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and any of us can do that, and any of us should do that. And if we are willing to live that way, I think it's the way that we can shine the light into the workplace that we happen to be called to serve. Oh, those workplaces we are called to serve. All right, so let's let's make this real for people. Give me a great biblical example of a servant leader. You know, in my book, I, I share the story about Gideon, because I think that uh, Gideon was, uh, he, he was kind of a least likely character to wind up in the place that he was. But God visited him and called him out and said, somebody needs to lead these Israelites out of the problems that they are in. And Gideon uh, was the one that God called. And Gideon was an interesting leader because he was not only humble, he was almost scared of his own shadow at times. It just seemed like he was always begging for affirmation from God and wanting to know, am I really going to be able to succeed at this? And so he was He was very humble, and it was a fascinating story to learn about Gideon and what he, what he did in that, uh, well, in that situation. Well, who was, who was the enemy that Gideon was fighting? You know, he was up against the Midianites and the Amalekites, and they were so brutal that every time the crops were about to be harvested, they would show up and trample down the fields and kill people and just ruin everything so that the uh, Israelites had nothing to eat. And so they were impoverished, and everything was looking really, really grim, and the people were crying out to God. And that's when God said, okay, we need to select a leader among you. And God went and chose Gideon and said, you're going to be the one that's going to help lead these people out of this problem. And yet Gideon was not a—well, he wasn't a warrior, although the, the angel that greeted him said, hey— Greetings, mighty warrior, and right. and it was more greetings, mighty worrier, because he was he was extremely fearful, and he when he was told what to do, he was obedient. Once he saw that God was really behind it, he put God to the test with the whole put do on this piece, but not on this piece, but not this place. I mean, he went back and forth with God a little bit, and he says he he goes out and he great gets his big army. He, he recruits a big army. Hey, anybody wants to fight, oh, come, and then God. God does some pretty weird stuff with him. What's he do? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know of very many military leaders that would uh, be obedient to what God asked Gideon to do, because Gideon rallied 32,000 soldiers to come that were willing to go and do battle. 
But God said, nope, that's too many. You might get the credit. And God wanted the credit, and so God whittled it down to 300 men. Now, how many leaders uh, do you know that would be willing to go fight an infinite, almost infinite number of adversaries and shelve 32,000 soldiers and go into battle with just 300? It's just a remarkable story. But God used those 300 people to bring them victory. Huge victory. Gideon had to be obedient. Yeah, Yeah, huge victory. Huge victory. I mean, it was a monstrous victory. It's just hilarious when you can get the armies that you're fighting against to fight themselves and kill each other. Pretty good deal. I mean, those guys, (laughs) they just had to crack some pots and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was a done deal. All right, so what are some of the things that Gideon did? What were some of his his behaviors that you saw that were servant leadership behaviors? Run through them really quick, and then we'll we'll start talking about them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he uh, listened to God, even though it was some hard things that he was hearing that he was going to have to do. And so he was humble enough to listen to God. Uh, also, I think his servant leadership style surfaced in the fact that he would go and scout out the uh, enemies himself, rather than uh, just you know sending people out to do that. He went with them. And so he led the charge whenever they went into battle, rather than holding back and, you know, being safe. I mean, it'd be easy to say, oh, we've only got 300 men. I better put them out front, and I'll go back behind so that, you know, so that I survive. But he uh, he didn't do that. He led the charge, and he was willing to do the dirty work. He even executed the prisoners rather than having other people do that. And whenever they tried to make him king, he said, no, I don't need to be king. And so, you know, so many people in business today would not go that path. They would be trying to take leadership themselves. All right. So we're talking today about servant leadership. And servant leadership is one of those things where, for most of us, it's elusive a little bit. And so I want to review some things. we got a lot of people tuning in after the bottom of the half hour. I want to review a couple of things. What are the two biggest qualities, most important qualities of somebody calling themselves a servant leader? Yes, humility and obedience. You must be humble and you must obey God's direction. Now, somebody can know that they're obedient, but can they know that they're humble? Because if you know that you're humble, does that mean you're not humble because you know that you're humble? (laughs) <laughs> that that's a tricky one. Uh, hopefully, if you're humble, you hear it from other people, not from your own lips. But when you hear it from other people and you let it, like, pat you on the back, does that mean you're not humble anymore? Because you're like, <laughs> I kind of liked hearing that. Uh, it's just humility is one of those things where it, it just it, it, it smacks in the face of convention, which is why it's in your unconventional business book. But humility, we, we just don't see it demonstrated very often. I mean, when was the last public leader that you've seen that demonstrated really, really well servant leadership? You know, I, I can think of, you know, like Truett Cathy with, with Chick-fil-A, and there's people like that that I've seen and known personally that, uh, that really model this kind of stuff really well. And uh, but but yeah, publicly the press usually wants to put people out front that are the flamboyant, spotlight uh, grabbing people. Yeah, and, and that's why I mean because honestly, if somebody's going to be a humble 
obedient servant leader, they're not going to catch a spotlight because that's the whole point of them being <laughs> humble. I mean, right. you really didn't see Truett Cathy out there in front of people. I mean, I grew up in Minnesota. I didn't know about Chick-fil-A until I moved to Florida. And then they finally opened one up in Minnesota. So, I mean, it's it, – you. but once I heard about it, I mean, it was evident throughout his entire organization that servant leadership was the key because they raise up servant leaders from the ground up in that organization. And Jim, you might remember the uh, the book Good to Great, and Absolutely. one of the things that they found in that book, which was fascinating, was is they said that they assumed that the leaders that were going to be running the best companies were going to be those flamboyant leaders that everybody knew who their name was, and they were shocked when they found out that the companies that had long-term sustainable growth and were the strongest companies were usually led by people that no one even knew the CEO's name because the CEO was typically pushing his other leaders out front rather than himself or herself. All right, so we talked right before the break about Gideon and about his example of servant leadership in the Bible um, and, and that, he, that he learned to listen to God. That's really a powerful one, that they learned to listen to God. He was yeah. willing to do the work himself, and I, I love... The fact that you know a true servant leader when you see them being willing to do anything that needs to get done. Right. I mean, you know, a, a leader that is a servant leader can lead with purpose and clean the toilets too. Yes. <laughs> and a leader that is willing to lead but not clean the toilets isn't much of a servant because toilets always need to be cleaned. Yeah, I, I love the, uh, the story. Bill Pollard uh, used to be CEO of Service Master, and Bill tells the story that whenever he went to work for Service Master, he had been an attorney at pretty high levels in the corporate world, and when he showed up, they told him everybody in this company has to go work cleaning floors, working as a janitor. And he had, and I, I don't remember if it was for a, a month or longer than that, but when he started, he had to go do the most humbling work in the organization, even though he was the CEO. And Right, and he talked about that. I, I interviewed him on the air, and he talked about how it, it, he did for, it was for weeks he did that work, and the guy said, if you can't do this work, you can never lead this company. Right. And that's power. I mean, that's powerful. We should do that with all of our elected politicians. <laughs> there we go. If you can't work a road crew, you can't be the you can't be the president of the United States. If you can't, I mean, just seriously, there's some things that would be great, great there. Okay, mm-hmm. so why should you and me and the rest of us listeners become a servant leader? What, what, what would the world look like if it was led by servant leaders? Boy, I think it would uh, it would be a lot more enjoyable place to be working uh, because you would have people willing to serve you rather than always demanding that you serve them instead. How cool would that be? I mean, that just would be so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to even imagine what that would look like. All right, so why should we become a servant leader, Rick Box? You know, in, in my book, uh, I list three major reasons. And the first one is, is humility makes us more teachable. Uh, it, it, if you really want God's wisdom to help you lead the business, 
Humility is necessary for you to have ears to hear, and sometimes that means ears to hear from other people around you. So humility does make us more teachable. The second one is is obedience to God gets God-sized results. I mean, so if we truly want God-sized results in our business, we need to be obeying God because he has the best plan. It's unconventional, just like what we were talking about with Gideon. I mean, who you know, who in their right mind would take 32,000 soldiers and set them aside for only 300? But that's exactly what God told him to do. Gideon was obedient to that. He had a tremendous victory. So obedience to God, that's results. Well, and making us more teachable... I, 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 Again, we talked about humility, obedience, but what is amazing is when we demonstrate those things. I mean, humility makes us more teachable because we don't because we don't think we know everything, and obedience to God helping us get those big results. I mean, how many of us think, "Well, I'm going to help God out. I'm going to do this thing," and we get X result, and and God says, "You know what? If you just..." I'm just, I'll be bold here. If you just shut up and sit still for a second, let me do something because I'm God here. The result could have been X with an X exponential effect. Yes. But because you decided to do it in your power, you got a human result. I'm trying to give you a God result. And that's what humility does. Humility goes, I don't know everything. And I think right. as we get older, don't as we get older, don't most of us get more humble because we realize how much we really don't know. <laughs> I think that's very often true because we uh, we do learn as we get older that there's a lot of people that have a lot more experiences than than we do and a lot more knowledge. Well, I think we were the smartest at 16. <laughs> yes. You've had three kids. I, I had three kids. You know, I think they were the smartest at, at 16. And then all of a sudden in their 20s, I started getting smart again. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and, and now I think, okay, I'm in my 50s now and I still don't think I know anything. I realize I know about God. I know so much less, I think, than what I thought at first when I became a Christ follower. Like, I thought I had it all figured out. And today, I'm like, oh, my word. There's just so much to understand. Why did I think? I mean, I, am I, a lot of times, I just thought I was God instead of realizing how much I needed God. It just, it's just amazing, that paradigm shift. All right, so humility makes us more teachable. Obedience to God gets God-sized results. But being a servant leader... What, what what does it do with the people that we work with? You know, I, I believe it strengthens relationships as well. So that's the, the third point I would make about why we should become a servant leader. I, I've just seen that if you are serving humbly other people, then it's going to strengthen relationships because they start to realize that you truly do care. And whenever you're caring for others, they have really no choice but to to realize that you're someone that cares and that they should uh, pay attention to that, and they also should probably serve you, and many of them will. And the relationships, when you see this put into action and you see a leader revered by his people to the point where they will all rush into a fire because the leader's leading the way, all of a sudden you you see a leader who is truly loved by his people because he loved them first. It's just, yes. what, just what Jesus demonstrated. I mean, that's what servant leadership does. It, it puts people first instead of results, which is why Wall Street a lot of times is upside down because it puts results over people. Uh, and, and publicly held companies are often pushed and driven by results instead of people when you 
And if you have a publicly held company that puts people first, those are publicly held companies that are doing fantastically well. Rick, let me just step back for just a second and talk about the Integrity Resource Center. I want to make sure people understand what you do. How can the Integrity Resource Center help an average Joe or Josephine in their workplace today? Yes, well, we've got a lot of uh, different tools. Uh, Our daily integrity moments is is one simple uh, thing that they can sign up for for free and get some uh, biblical wisdom each day. But also we've developed, uh, we've got the Unconventional Business Book, written several other books, and small group Bible studies. And so we've got materials online that people can plug into. You mentioned earlier we also have a fire assessment tool uh, that stands, that's an acronym that stands for Faith, Integrity, Relationships, and Excellence. And it's a self-assessment that will tell you how well you're doing in actually uh, integrating faith into your workplace and give you some tools to, to help improve in that area as well. And so we, uh, yeah, we, we do a lot of different things, a lot of different teaching and speaking engagements as well. And so we're here to counsel people and to help as they have uh, trials in their, uh, in their business. Integrityresource.org. Okay. Why is, it un- why is understanding who we serve as a servant leader, why is understanding who we serve critical to putting this into action? I mean, you made that comment in your book. I want to understand, because this is about people. Jesus was about the people. He wasn't about the task at hand. He was about the task at hand, but he didn't miss the people along the way while accomplishing the task. Right. Yeah, and I, I think it's important that we look around. There, there are lots of different types of people that we can serve in the workplace, and so we've got different people groups. We've got employees, we've got customers, we've got suppliers. So many people will get locked in on, I'm going to serve my customers. But if you're not serving your employees well, they're not going to serve your customers well. And so it ends up kind of blowing up in your face if you're not doing it well across the board. And so we need to look around and realize that there's suppliers and customers and employees and lots of different people groups that we should be serving. And, and you see that in businesses all the time. You can tell when you walk into a business, if the employees don't feel appreciated, uh, neither will you as a customer. We're talking to Rick Box from the Integrity Resource Center about his incredible book, Unconventional Business, Five Keys to Growing a Business God's Way. Rick, when we, well, I, how do we do this? How do we develop servant leaders? I mean, it's not like you could grab somebody like, I'm going to teach you to be a servant. I mean, it doesn't work like that, does it? No, but uh, there's a lot that we can do, I think, to help people. The uh, the first step I mentioned in my book is, is change the paradigm. Even Jesus had to change the paradigm of his disciples. If you remember the story, they were all kind of elbowing each other, saying, hey, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God? And they were wrestling with which one of them was going to rise to the top and be greatest. And Jesus really had to humble them and say, you know, the least of you, the ones who are least, are actually going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and that he wanted them to be uh, servants. And therefore, in our in our businesses, in the workplaces that we serve, we need to cha- change the paradigm for people. We need to let them know that it's a different model to humbly serve others, but it's the model that God calls us to, and it's the model 
that works. But a lot of times as leaders of an organization, if we want servant leadership to grow within an organization, sometimes we actually have to touch, you know, mess with our mission, vision, and values, because a lot of times our mission, vision, and values don't reflect a servant leadership environment, right? That's true. I mean, people can have a uh, a vision that just goes counter to what you might want to experience when it comes to servant leadership. And so it's important that uh, the message is another important step is, is communicating clearly your vision and your mission and the values that you want to run the company by. You should be uh, letting everyone know that here are the values that are important to us and we need to be rewarding people that are actually living out those values and and actually rebuking people when they aren't living out our values. When you start to teach people servant leadership, I mean, really, you can't teach people servant leadership. Can you? Can, isn't it only just a demonstrated thing, or, or can you actually teach people? Well, I think you can teach the concepts. Now, they have to be willing to grab onto it and to actually try and do it. But uh, it's great if it can be modeled for them so that they also see it real up front. Well, and that's really my point. I'm like, can you, I mean, if I'm a leader of an organization and I go to all my executive vice presidents, like, I want you guys to work on being servant leaders. (laughs) Well, you know, that would work about as good as saying, hey, I'm going to throw an ice cube in the ocean and grow an iceberg. But it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen because I, as the leader, need to demonstrate it. I mean, I need, I mean, the do as I say, not as I do thing never worked for me as a teenager. It's never going to work in a leadership spot, is it? Right. Well, no, but as a leader, you could start paving the way by giving them opportunities to serve. I mean, maybe you have uh, an event where you serve and your leadership team serves the employees on a periodic basis, you know, maybe you cook them breakfast or whatever. I mean, you can help set the stage so that people start learning that this is what it looks like. But that may require that you call some people out. That some people say, I'm not doing that. I'm too important to do that kind of work. Well, when you start hearing that kind of stuff, you know those are the ones you need to be looking for ways to weave them out. Ways to free their future. That is correct. Yes. All right, so when when... <laughs> When you start to raise up servant leaders within an organization, whether it's a church or a business or any kind of organization, what happens? When, when, that, when, when you start raising up servant leaders, what do you see? What do you experience? Well, I think it, it starts to become something that uh, everyone around you starts recognizing the value in it, and they may uh, actually become more humble and start to serve because they're not seeing pride coming out of the top. In, in organizations, the amazing thing is is what people see at the top doesn't take very long before it reaches the bottom. It's like and a so rocket. Rocket yeah, and, and, and that could be good or bad. And so if all they see is pride and arrogance, you're going to find pride and arrogance at the bottom of the organization. And but if they see, yeah, if they see, you know, humility and servant leadership, then it will ripple through the organization and make for a healthier organization. We're almost out of time. We've got 30 seconds left. Can you give me an example of an organization we would all know that this happened where servant leadership rose to the top and then I mean, it, it was an example for the entire organization. Is there a company out there that you know of? You know, actually, there's a real current example. Popeye's Chicken, uh, Cheryl uh, Bachelder. Yeah. 
Batchelder took over and implemented servant leadership, and she's written a book about their turnaround and their success, and they must have did pretty well because they recently sold to Burger King for $1.6 billion. Wow, that's incredible. Rick Box with the Integrity Resource Center. Your book, Unconventional Business, is phenomenal. Thanks for being an I work for him today. All right. Thanks, Jim. All right. See you later, Rick. Hey, get a copy of Unconventional Business. Go out to integrityresource.org. Get your own copy. I really want to thank you for tuning in to I Work For Him today. It was a great conversation with Rick Box. I just want you to remember, our workplace, it's our mission field. But ultimately, we all work for him.